culture of preparedness is very important. It's helping your employee population, leadership of your organization, helping them to understand why it is important that you plan for these worst case scenarios. And, you know, sometimes it's hard for an organization who is, is potentially consumed with real-time activities, kind of, you know, putting out fires as they burn and to really focus on, you know, the what ifs. But I think that's part of being an effective emergency manager and, and business continuity manager um, is really helping them understand why it's important to plan, what can go wrong, and helping them to build their skills and expertise so that when something does go wrong, they're able to respond quickly and effectively to it. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Jeffrey Trask. Jeffrey serves as the Enterprise Emergency Management, Business Continuity, and Insurance Risk Manager at ISO New England. Jeffrey, thanks for joining us. How are you? Oh, thank you so much. Doing well, and so happy to be on the podcast. Well, it's excellent to have you here. And our topic today is building a company-wide culture of preparedness. But before we begin, can you give our listeners a little context and tell them more about your background specifically, ISO New England, and then your role there? Sure, absolutely. So I pretty much spent my entire career in emergency preparedness and business continuity. Got my start right, well, actually while I was in college, working for the local sheriff's department, served as a correctional officer and a deputy sheriff. So did that for about four years before moving on to working for the city of Chicopee, which is a city of 50,000 people in Western Massachusetts. We have an air base, several major roadways, lots of industries. So it was a great place to really kind of get into the field of emergency management right around 2002, 2003. So post-September 11th, you know, when a, a renewed focus on preparedness and resilience and obviously Homeland Security was taking off. I did that for a few years and then was recruited by the Mass Emergency Management Agency, where I worked as a program manager, mostly working with supporting local communities as they, you know, prepared plans and developed exercises and whatnot, but also was responsible for the statewide business continuity planning program. So I worked with all of the state agencies developing their continuity plans. So that was exciting. Did that for almost seven years. And then moved on to work at MIT. While I was at MIT, I was responsible for emergency management and business continuity. So as you can imagine, great experience there, being exposed to obviously a multitude of functions and you know laboratory settings and you know just all types of hazards. Yeah. So it gave me a really good look into you know what it's like to perform these functions at a, a private sector institution. And then a few years down the road, had the opportunity to work for ISO New England. And, you know, it's a great organization, a great mission. So ISO New England is the entity that is the uh, the power grid for the six New England states. All of New England, you know, obviously outside of New York. And their chief responsibilities are, you know, managing the grid, managing the wholesale electric market, and also handling the planning of the electrical system throughout New England. And, you know, making sure that that electrical system is, you know, adequate to meet the needs of the residents of New England. My role there is business continuity planning, emergency management and response, along with insurance risk management. So a lot of the same things that I've done throughout my whole career, but applying those to the mission of ISO New England. 
Fantastic. Well, you certainly have a wealth of experience. I know our listeners are going to appreciate it. I think you'll bring some good context to the conversation that we're going to have here. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Well, jumping into it, you know, let's just talk about electricity. <laughs> Keeping it flowing <laughs> across six states in New England is it's a massive undertaking and a big responsibility. So I would say, what are some of the biggest challenges you face, both from a, a company or an industry perspective when it comes to emergency preparedness? You know, I think, you know, we're, we're very lucky. So, you know, ISO New England boys, the number of skilled professionals that are very good at what they do in terms of, you know, keeping that electricity flowing. Thankfully, I don't have to worry about that. My, my mission <laughs> is basically ensuring that they have the tools and the resources along with, you know, the technology to ensure that they can continue to do their job, you know, with as little disruption as possible. So part of my job is kind of the less glamorous side of things, which is, you know, the planning, the preparedness, the training, the exercises, ensuring like the operational readiness of our backup facilities, working with IT to ensure that, you know, we have the right technology, the right, you know, access to systems, et cetera. So that, yeah, so in times like like we're in now that they you know be agile and flexible enough to do the job that they do very well, no matter what the circumstances are. It's kind of what my job is over there. Well, I think that's very key, no matter what the circumstances are. I mean, the power just has to be on. So that requires kind of making sure that people have in the culture of the organization, this culture of preparedness. So how do you describe what it means to have a culture of preparedness within an organization? And why is that important? Yeah, so I think regardless of the organization and obviously, you know, the organization I work for along with all of the organizations that I work for, you know, I think the culture of preparedness is very important. It's helping your employee population, leadership of your organization, you know, helping them to understand why it is important that you plan for these worst case scenarios. And, you know, sometimes it's hard for an organization who is, you know, is, is potentially consumed with, you know, real time activities, kind of, you know, putting out fires as they burn and to, to really focus on on, you know, the what ifs. But, you know, I think that's part of being an effective emergency manager and, and business continuity manager is really helping them understand, you know, why it's important to plan, what can go wrong, and helping them to build their skills and expertise so that when something does go wrong, they're able to respond quickly and effectively to it. And that's really building that culture. And a lot of it is really just interpersonal skills. You know, it's customer service, it's relationship building, both internally and externally. So, you know, those are all things that we do on a daily basis. And it pays off dividends in times when we actually have to implement the plan. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think you hit right on it. It's sharing with people the why behind it. Because if people are just told to do something, they're like, ah, I don't know why, you know, I don't care. But if you just come right out and tell them why, then they're like, oh, that makes total sense. Yeah, let's spend a little time doing some preparation you know, planning and, and something like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, is that I think one thing that's important, you know, when helping folks understand the importance of the business continuity planning is utilizing realistic scenarios. I think many mm -hmm. times we, we we talk about the grandiose scenarios where a plane will crash into your building or, you know, bomb goes off, right? You know, I like to plan with more realistic scenarios like, you know, okay, what happens if a pipe burst? You know, there's a flood or, you know, somebody burns toast, <laughs> you know, in the, in the kitchen and it sets off the fire alarm, right? These are all things that could happen any day in any organization. These aren't the worst case scenarios, but it could cause a business disruption. So looking at these as opportunities to kind of informally test your business continuity plan is a great way to, you know, to help build that culture preparedness in something that, that everybody can kind of understand, right? Yep. 
Well, to your point, they're much more likely to happen than the plane flying into the building. But if the plane does fly in the building and people have a culture of responding to these smaller micro problems, then they're more likely to be able to react to the big one. Right, right. Exactly. And, and that's why, you know, we do fire drills, right? You know, for the, for the same reason. And, and it's not that, you know, fire is all that likely, especially in a modern building these days. It's more of just getting people, you know, that muscle memory, yep. how to quickly evacuate a building, regardless of the scenario. Yeah. Well, on the other side, what can happen if an organization does not establish a culture of preparedness? What have you seen out there? Well, you know, I think a lot of organizations are at various levels of maturity when it comes to, you know, emergency planning, business continuity. You know, I've had colleagues reach out to me from other organizations asking for, you know, tips, tricks, and best practices because they're in a position where they're the first person to really take on this effort of business continuity planning or emergency planning. And it's a struggle, you know, because it's something, it's a situation where people are fighting against the, oh, that'll never happen here, right? You know, it's... It, it just seems like, you know, there's some people out there that just don't want to accept the fact that that bad things sometimes happen, you know, even yeah. in the best of places. So that is definitely something that has been a challenge for, for some of my colleagues that have reached out, you know, getting resources, getting buy-in, getting executive buy-in, right? You know, so you can be passionate and excited and, and professional in terms of how you plan and, you know, in your efforts to reach out to various middle managers, frontline workers, you know, in the, in the company. But if you don't have that buy-in at the the executive level, sometimes it's really hard to get traction, yeah. you know, for some of these initiatives. So, you know, I've seen it all across the board, you know, like I said, organizations at various levels of maturity, but it's unfortunate. And, and I think, you know, this pandemic that we just experienced, you know, really has the potential to expose, you know, some of the lack of planning that, that some organizations, you know, have had and really, you know, those that didn't plan for it, you know, found out very quickly and probably had to think a lot on the fly. Those that did plan for it were probably, you know, made the transition to a remote working posture much quicker. It seems like, unfortunately, a lot of organizations just say, ah, let's wait. If something happens, we'll react to it. Well, you can't react yeah. to that situation. You're going to suffer from it. And then it's only that that causes them to invest going forward into emergency prep or something. It's, it's almost like yeah. getting in a wreck and then putting your seatbelt on. <laughs> it just doesn't yeah, work that right, way. Right, exactly. You know, it's say that, you know, emergency planning is one of those things that, you know, you need it the most, you know, after the incident happens or it is. It's, it's so many times have I seen that happen where, where, like I said, organizations just take that attitude where, you know, it's, hey, you know what, we'll, we'll deal with it when the time comes. And yeah, it's, you know, for me being in, in, in the industry for, like I said, almost 20 years, it's hard for me to understand that. But, right. but you know, so there are some organizations that do take that approach. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of your, your background, how has your background in law enforcement influenced your passion for building a culture of preparedness at the organizations you've been with since you've left law enforcement? Well, you know, I think it, it gives me, a, it, it certainly gives me a greater awareness of some of the things, you know, some of the threats that are out there. But also, I think it also gives me the, the opportunity to, you know, know how to access law enforcement, you know, and public safety resources better working within an organization that, you know, if it's a, if it's a business or if it's a nonprofit or if it's a school can sometimes be disconnected to local, you know, local public safety, just because of the nature, right? It's not like working for the city or working for the state where you have, you know, those resources are, are more easily accessible. So having that background, it helps me to relate to public safety better. It also helps me to build the relationships with public safety so that we can have those relationships in place pre-disaster 
so that when the disaster actually happens, you have a good working relationship with the public safety officials that'll help benefit the response in the long run. The other nice thing about it is having those relationships allows you to share information about your facility, bring law enforcement and you know, fire service on tours of your facility so that they know kind of the layout of the, of the facility and and what they're dealing with in advance. It just makes things so much easier as opposed to, you know, kind of shaking hands for the first time, you know, when the fire truck pulls up, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just, it helps to shave those, you know, minutes and seconds off the response and, and, and help affect better response, you know, to your incident. Yeah. I mean, minutes and seconds can literally be the difference between life and death sometimes in emergencies. And I, I've talked to a number of first responders on this podcast and they all say the same thing. Why would you wait to introduce yourself to the first responders in the middle of an emergency and not do it? in advance oh. before something happens. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, and I think it's part of building that culture of preparedness, right? So it's it's helping me, you know, I find myself in whatever organization I'm working for in a position to act almost as a liaison to the local public safety, the state public safety, even some federal officials, you know, that, that are involved in public safety, just because it's my background, right? And, and it's part of my role at, at the organization is to make those connections with the appropriate people within my organization. So it's definitely paid off. Like I said, it gives me a, a respect for law enforcement, a respect for public safety, a respect for the role that they perform, and also a respect for all that they can contribute and help out, you know, when needed. So, yeah. so definitely was a, was a worthwhile experience, only, you know, not only for my personal development, but also for future roles and responsibilities. And frankly, it's really apropos for any organization out there. I'm sure people listening are saying, well, you work with the grid and it's power and, you know, you, you got these relationships, but I mean, you could be running a daycare. It's important that the local sheriff oh, or the local yeah. police and fire know your facility and how many kids are there and, and things like that, because they can respond much better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, many, many of the communities around, you know, especially around where I live, we have local emergency planning committees where it's encouraged to have representatives from the business community, from schools and daycares, health centers, hospitals, you know, nonprofit organizations, you know, along with police and fire and public works and, you know, municipal government leaders, right? All get together and just talk about, you know, planning activities and strategize, you know, if it's a hurricane season coming up or is it, you know, the winter weather season coming up and just talk through, you know, the response to those hazards. You know, it's, it's, it's so valuable because not only do you meet your local government officials, your local public safety officials, but you also get to interact with other members of, say, the business community or the nonprofit community or the health community. And that gives you the ability to network, to share best practices. So, you know, in every organization that I've worked for, we've been a part of that, you know, broader planning effort within the community. And that is something that that really is valuable, no matter what kind of organization you're in. Yeah. Well, just to put you on the spot here a little bit, do any specific examples come to mind of instances when it was critical to the continuity of business to have that preparedness culture in place? So I also volunteer in my local community, okay, Mm. as an emergency management director and also sit on the fire commission. So, you know, in that role, you know, and these are volunteer positions. And I know that, you know, being an emergency management director for a local community, you know, we're often called to different incidents like building collapses, large fires, which displace a number of individuals. And there was an instance where last year we had a building collapse. It was a severe storm. There was very high gust of wind, you know, 70 miles an hour. It wasn't hurricane force, but it was pretty bad. And building collapsed. 
displace the number of individuals. And we were able to leverage resources in order to provide a temporary shelter, engage public safety resources, uh, police and fire, public works. We even engaged state resources through the emergency management agency for the state to provide uh, support. And then also, you know, engage local Red Cross to provide assistance to the victims as well. It was just amazing to see all of those different parties come together with one mission in mind, which was to take care of those folks that were displaced by the incident. And you know, I think that's a great example of just all of those different relationships coming together. And all those relationships were built in the pre-planning process, you know, as part of having those meetings and, and conducting that planning and building that, that culture of preparedness within the community. So definitely it's it's something that pays off. I mean, I've seen it happen, you know, countless times and, you know, definitely something that's worthwhile investing in. Relationships and muscle memory, two very important things. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's talk about how to go about building a culture of preparedness in the workplace. What's top of mind for you as you think about, I'm coming into an institution, an organization, and what are the top things someone can do? Okay, so I would say the first thing I'm gonna do when I walk into an organization is get to know people, right? You know, build relationships. It's just getting to know those people because they're the ones that, you know, you're going to depend upon during an emergency, but also they're the folks that you're going to work with on a regular basis, you know, building plans and testing plans. So getting to know them, you know, working with them, helping them understand what you do, the importance of what you do, why it's important to them, you know, that's probably the first and foremost thing that I'm going to do. Because once you have those relationships built, then everything else becomes easy because, now, you know, instead of writing a lengthy email, maybe you can just pick up the phone and just ask the question, right? Yeah. You know, you're not introducing yourself for the first time, you know, even within the organization to somebody, you know, when you need them the most. So that's the first thing I'm going to do. The second thing is, you know, along those same lines is build a communications infrastructure. It's really to, you know, in order to respond effectively to an incident urgency, you need to have the ability to communicate quickly and effectively. So definitely, you know, looking at building out an emergency notification system that has the ability to notify people that something is wrong, but then also to quickly bridge those people into a conference call so that you can, you know, begin managing the incident. And then it's going to be conducting drills and exercises and inviting those outside parties that I built relationships with to participate in our drills so that we drill together so that when the real life incident happens, we're working together and, and we have the rapport and this camaraderie and, you know, nobody's a stranger when we're, when we're responding for real. No, it's, it's fantastic advice. And one of the top things you said is near and dear to my heart, you know, working with Alert Media, which is communication. Right. I think it's fundamental, especially if you don't have business continuity plans in place yet, that makes communication even more important because you have to be able to see what's going on out there and call audibles and then communicate it out to folks. So could we dig on that a little bit more? Like, why do you think communication is so important? I think it's important because it's one of those things that could either make or break an emergency response. Like mm. if you can't effectively communicate, you can't coordinate, you can't respond. And it all starts with early notification, right? You need to let people know what's going on, you know, what's it impacting, you know, what can you do, what can't you do, right? These are all things that whether, you know, you're in leadership or in a more operational capacity, you need to know before you can effectively respond. You know, same thing with just basic emergency notifications. So let's say we want to notify folks that there's a problem, you know, letting them know as quickly as possible, you know, what's going on, what are the protective actions that they can take, you know, to protect themselves and, and get them out of harm's way. You know, these are all things that are critical to an effective response. I would agree wholeheartedly. A visual I oftentimes try to give people is when an emergency happens, if you don't communicate, 
just picture everybody out there frozen in a block of ice because that's what happens. Oh, that's great. That's a great. Yeah, that's a great. <laughs> no, that's that's a great analogy. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've come a long way. I mean, it's it's amazing. Like, you know, from a communication standpoint, look at where we are today versus say twenty years ago. I mean, when we were doing pandemic planning back in the two thousand, it was all about oh, you know, we gotta we gotta you know build a plan that's gonna allow us to to survive with only you know. 40% of our workforce, you know, <laughs> homesick, right? You know, that was always the thing, right? And now it's all about, okay, well, how do we build a, you know, you know robust IT infrastructure that's going to allow our employees to work from home, yeah. right? So we're not really seeing, you know, these massive losses of employees because, you know, the, the risk is kind of being spread out by having people work at home as opposed to, you know, decentralizing the risk versus uh, centralizing right. the risk in a workplace, you know, with, with tools and technology that just weren't around 20 years ago. So now we're looking at a pandemic more like a building loss situation as opposed to a, you know, an actual health emergency. So it, it's kind of fascinating to see, you know, this play out in real life working, you know, in a business, an office type organization where that transition, you know, can be made possible. You know, obviously there's, there's folks that have to go to work and, you know, are essential and need to be at their work site, but by distributing that risk, you know, to people's homes, right, you know, and, and, and decentralizing it, you make the environment for people who have to be at work, you know, much safer because you're not exposing them to the additional workforce. So, so yeah, and that's communication, right? I mean, it's a form of communications and, it's, and there's tools, you know, that allow us to communicate and collaborate effectively that, that, that are online now that just didn't exist before. So it's just incredible to see. I mean, That's right. If this had happened 30 years ago, can you imagine managing this pandemic with pagers and fax machines? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. I mean, even just the concept of having a virtual EOC, right? You know, we've always planned for that. You know, the emergency operations center was this, you know, was this room that was very seldom used and had a bunch of laptops sitting in it, right? Some maps on the wall yeah. and a bunch of whiteboards and, a, and an overhead projector, right? Now the EOC is is a WebEx meeting or it's a it's a Zoom meeting or it's you know Microsoft Teams meeting, right? That's that's the EOC now. At least, you know, in my profession, it's just it's just incredible the number of resources and tools that are available to you to communicate, to collaborate, and to effectively manage incidents. Absolutely. Well, this has been fantastic. And I like to close out each episode just by asking our guests to give our listeners a practical tip they can implement right away to make a positive impact on their organization. So what can the audience, in your opinion, do today to help improve their company's safety culture? Okay, so I'll, I'll say two things. I think, I think one thing is really to get out there and just meet people. So if there's somebody in your organization that you haven't met that you should meet, just make the phone call. The other thing, too, is I think, you know, really build out your communications infrastructure. If you don't have an emergency notification system, get one, you know, build it out, test it, you know, train people on it, use it on a semi-regular basis. You don't want to cry wolf, but it certainly doesn't hurt getting people used to uh, receiving that, those communications and getting them comfortable with receiving those communications. So th those are the things that I would do right away. Because those are two things that are really going to pay off dividends in the end, you know, not only now during a pandemic, but for future incidents. No, oh, that's fantastic advice. Well, look, I really appreciate your expertise and advice on how to build a company-wide culture of preparedness. So thanks for sharing that. If anyone out there listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you out there? Oh, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn. So it's Jeffrey Kraft on LinkedIn to be able to find me pretty quickly. My email is Jeff. Trask, that's J-E-F-F-T-R-A-S-K, at AOL.com. And, and don't make fun of the AOL.com address because I've, I've had that since I was 15 years old. So I figured... Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll email you from my CompuServe account. 
<laughs> Beautiful. Love it. Love it. <laughs> well, thanks again for taking the time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency, as we just discussed. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.